Ah, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts to what you would want to say to us this morning through your word. You've spoken in so many ways this morning, Lord, so many ways. And now I pray that we would remain soft-hearted, tender in our spirits, Lord God, to, to address our own lives and how we can get closer to you and closer to each other. Thank you once again for just the sacrifice you made for every single one of us and the significance it's had on each of our lives. Help us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up so much for us. And it's his name we pray all these things, and it's in his name we, we give glory. Amen. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says... We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. You know, since the beginning of Grace Chapel, um, our mission has stated that we live on purpose in authentic community, worshiping as we connect with the body of Christ, grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, serve in the body, and then, and then also reach the world that we want to reach and make an impact in the world around us. Being authentic has always been a part of this church, been a part of the DNA of the church. From the very, very beginning, that mission statement has pretty much not changed, and it says we are an authentic community. You know, over the past few years, or 10 years or so or more, um, that word authentic is now used all the time in church. It's become like a catchword in so many churches. Um, and I, I can probably tell you why. Because according to the experts, um, authenticity is one of the most important, if you will, highest valued um, characteristics of, they would say, for Generation Z and Millennials. When Millennials say, what is, they ask them, what is important to you? They will say, authenticity. We, want, we, we like authenticity. Because of that, authenticity has become the focus of most churches' efforts to more effectively reach those two generations. So it's okay. We, we found, we've studied, we've realized that the millennials and Generation Z, that authenticity is important to them, so we've got to become authentic. But while everyone seems to agree that uh, authenticity is extremely important in the church, I have to wonder um, how much consensus is there among church leaders in different churches to um, authenticity, what is that? I don't think there's, there's a, a real grip on what authenticity actually looks like within the church. 
And as I was thinking about this and I wanted to talk about what, is, what does it mean to be an authentic church, I started to think about the, the whole idea of authenticity now spreading out in the church. And I thought, well, if, if you have to do research, okay, on what a group of people uh, think authenticity means, and you have to, you have to research authenticity, um, and what it means to different individual groups, and then you program that authenticity based upon your research, I'd say you're not very authentic. I'm just, you know, using logic. And then I started thinking, okay, what, um, what is the definition that the millennials and Generation Z, what is their def- definition of authenticity? And to be honest with you, once I studied that, I challenge their definition of authenticity. So, obviously, authenticity doesn't come from just researching what someone else thinks about what authenticity means to them, and then we become authentic based upon what they think about it. That's not, if you look up the word authenticity, it's probably not the right one. So then I started thinking, okay, are there characteristics, behaviors, attitudes in the church that translate into actual authenticity? Are the, or can, we, can we see those things in the church? And I really think there are. I think there are characteristics. I think there are behaviors. I think there are attitudes that you can see within a church that you would say, yes, that church is authentic. And the Apostle Paul, his letter to the, to the Colossians helps guide us here. Okay, so how, you know, what does it look like to be an authentic church? I think, he, I think he really can help guide us. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae. Though most people would agree that Paul had never really met the people at Colossae, in the, church, the Colossian church, because he didn't plant that church. That's pretty much historically what people would agree with, okay? That Paul did not plant that church. So in verse 4, when he addresses their Christ-centered authenticity, if you will, he does it strictly by by observable characteristics, okay? By things that can actually be measured, okay? How do we measure this? And I, I like that. In other words, it's not, it's not biased based upon relationships that he has with people in that church. It's not like I'm the pastor of this church, okay, and, or I'm the, I know a lot of people in the church over here, and I would, because of personal relationships, I would say, oh, they're a very loving church, or they're a very whatever church. This is based upon, based upon basic observable characteristics that can be measured. Our goal, our goal here is to look at objective criteria. So his words to this church are extremely important to us, okay? His words here. The reason I picked the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter one, is because we see authenticity both in Paul's attitude and in the attitude, the way he describes the church in the attitude of that church, the way he describes it. So you have Paul's attitude that we can glean from and what he's communicating, the words he's using, and the words he's using about this particular church. So what I want to do is I want to walk through his words and his descriptions of the church. And I want to pick out four characteristics. There are so many more, but this morning we don't have the time to go through them all, okay? I want to pick out four characteristics from Colossians chapter 1 that, that, that will show 
um, what an authentic church actually looks like. So number one, an authentic church is thankful. They're thankful. The, the first words Paul uses when writing to this church is how thankful he is for them. He's thankful for them. It shows Paul's, shows Paul's own authenticity, but I believe it's also, it's also a measure of a church's authenticity. Are we thankful? I mean, as a body right now, are we thankful? And, and I think all of us as individuals have to really ask that question. Is this a thankful church? We need to ask ourselves, do we exhibit that kind of spirit? Do we we have that kind of of attitude? Do we encourage and do we teach um, a thankful spirit, if you will, an attitude of gratitude? Is that something that would be displayed within this body? And if Jesus were to walk through the door, because Paul says, you know, he's thankful for them. That's a word that should describe churches, thankful. If Jesus walked through the door and and he took everyone who was not thankful and he said, go to this side of the room and those who are thankful go to that side of the room and you couldn't fake it because he's Jesus and he could read your mind, right? Where would you go? And if you say, I gotta be honest, I go with the non-thankful because I'm not very thankful. That's something you personally need to work on because here's the thing. When the church of Jesus Christ, when the body of Christ is thankful, then you build a church that has authenticity. I think we're an authentic church, but if we're gonna continue to be an authentic church, we need to be thankful. Remember in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19? I wanna read this to you. Um, in Luke 17, 11 through 19, Jesus is interacting with a group of lepers. It says in verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back and praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so here we have this story. When you got leprosy, you mean people are like falling apart here. Okay, leprosy, you're pretty much toast. It's all over for you. No one wants to be around you. You have to distance yourself from your family. The only people you can hang around with is other lepers, all right? They scream at a distance to Jesus, which he didn't mind going and touching because he was God. And, uh, but they screamed at a distance, you know, oh, Master, Lord. And so he heals them. And only one guy thanks him. He says, where, uh, wait, didn't I heal 10 of you? You're the only one who comes back. I think this story is a good example 
honestly, of a heart, a heart of gratitude, or honestly, a, a, a lack of a lack thereof, and it reflects the spirit of, a, of someone who has been transformed, their life has been transformed by the power, by the, the sheer power of God. When a church is filled with people whose lives have been totally transformed by the power of the spirit of God, something miraculous happens. They live consistently thankful lives question we have to ask ourselves is we've been, we're 20 years old i would say we're we're an authentic church but if we want to continue to be authentic if we want to continue to be the church that paul describes we need to be a church that gives thanks to god the, the, a church that is grateful for the power of jesus christ in their lives that's number one the next example of authenticity in the church is Paul's reference to his prayers for the church. So number two, an authentic church prays. An authentic church prays. And I'm not just, I'm saying the word just because I'm not criticizing it. I'm not just talking about a traditional Wednesday night prayer meeting at a church. I'm talking about when the body of Christ comes together on Wednesdays and is consistently at home, when we're interacting with each other in the church, when we see someone who needs prayer, we are engaged. We are covering each other in prayer. If someone has cancer, it is not some prayer that we do at staff meeting and then, you know, move on to the next thing. It's constantly praying for that person until they're completely restored and healed. It's investing in people's lives. That's the kind of prayer he's talking about. They cared, okay, they cared through prayer. They care through prayer. That's what Paul is talking about. Real, real, real authenticity in the church is experienced through prayer. It's experienced through a church that prays. I, I love, I honestly, and not because he said amen, because I know his voice, because um, it's written down right here. I, I, love, I love watching Pastor David out in the foyer. If you get here early enough, especially if you're here early, people will come in and he'll kind of catch them out. And other pastors do it as well. Um, but he'll, he'll catch people out there. Hey, well, you, you look a little down and they'll, say, and they'll say something. Well, I lost my, or I'm, I've got an operation or whatever. And, he, and it's not just... Oh, uh, you know, uh, you know. Sorry to hear that. And he, he just puts his hand on him. He's praying for people. That's encouraging when you're standing out there and you see people huddled up in different places and just praying for each other, caring for each other, listening to listening to each other. In Matthew twenty one thirteen, Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says this: "My house shall be called a house of prayer." So, if my house should be called a house of prayer. What does it say about a church that is not praying for the people in their body? If we're not praying for each other, and Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, what does it say about a church that is not honestly and sincerely praying for one another? I think this may help if you say, well, you know, I just, praying for me is one of those, here, I mean, I mean, try to help you with this, because um, this helped me. Someone comes to you and says, um, my, you know, you look, you look down, my mom, my mom died. Okay, I'm telling you, most of the world thinks to themselves, oh, that's, that's sad, but everyone's mom dies at some point. Everyone's dad dies. So they feel kind of bad, but they realize it's just a part of life. And, 
But here's, here's what I want to, well, I'll tell you real fast. Um, I, I tried really hard to put myself, and that's what I'm asking you to do. When you put yourself in someone else's position and how you think they may be feeling, it changes the way you pray for those people. My father died in 2017. I tried to engage people when they said my parent died, how I would feel if my parent died. I had no clue how I'd feel when my parent died until my parent died. Okay, and hear me out, but you could be 70 years old and you lost your 92-year-old mother and people will go, well, she's 70 years old, you know, you know she knew she was going to lose her. She just lost her mommy. Do you understand that? And she had her for 70 years to call, to talk to, to walk through things with, and all of a sudden, gone. Now, we can be rejoicing that mommy's in heaven with the Lord and we're going to see her soon. We're going to see her at some point, right? That's something we can rejoice over. But honestly, you need to enter into each other's, what if it were your child in the hospital? Now, I know we don't like to go there because it makes us feel like, oh, I don't want to feel that. But what if your child was the one who was in the emergency room or in uh, ICU, whatever, in the hospital? How would you pray then? Take a bit of that and that's how you pray for it. That's the kind of prayer I believe Jesus wants us to have for each other. And it helps us. When someone says, I lost my dad, it isn't just like, well, you know, we all lose our dads. No, he lost his dad right now. He's feeling it. He can't talk to him anymore. You say, we didn't have a good relationship with his dad anyway. Pray for him even more then. How do you think he feels losing his dad and thinking about what should have been, what could have been, and I, didn't ever, I never had it? Pray for him even more. I think that's really, really going to help our prayer lives. Next, Paul is praising the Colossians because he says, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your faith. So number three, an authentic church has faith. An authentic church has faith. A few months ago, I asked the question, I don't remember what it was, but I asked the question because it came up in a book and it's, on, it's online all the time. If your church just disappeared overnight, would your community notice or even care? And my answer to that question when we talked about it was our community would absolutely, okay, care. And you say, well, how do you know? I know because 2,000 of them are on this campus each week, either using Orca co-working space or soccer or basketball or archery or anything, or gymnastics, cheerleading. They use the campus all the time. If we, if this church just disappeared, they'd be like, in worst case scenario, where am I going to do gymnastics? I, you know what I'm saying? They care. They would care because we open this church up seven days a week, you know, all the time because we want to reach out and care for our community and meet their felt needs so they would care. But here's my question this morning. You know, we asked that question, would people care? But I have another question. Would the people of this community say that those people at Grace Chapel put their hope in Jesus Christ? Now, they may not phrase it certain ways, but would they say, man, they stand up for Christ. They stand for Jesus. That's no, there's no doubt about that. They, they stand for Jesus. Would they say, man, you, you listen to what they're doing over there and the, the creative things they come up with, um, would they say that we, they're a people of faith? They do things that are kind of a little outrageous. I've never heard that before. I don't even, what, does a church even do that? 
But you know, they're a, pers- they're a people of faith. They, they try things that haven't been maybe tried before. And they said, that's what they would say. We are a people of faith. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. We stand for God. Now listen, I'll give you an example. And, and I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's wrong for Christians to vote, obviously, or have political opinions, Okay, Here, here's what I do think is wrong. When the church starts putting its hope in a political party. When a church starts, now, you can be active in politics. You can be a politician. No, I'm just kidding. You can, <laughs> no, um, you, you, can, you, can be, you can be active in politics. You can be a politician. But here's the thing. You don't put your hope in a political party. People should know when it comes to Grace Chapel, we put our hope in Jesus Christ. That's where we put our hope. Regardless of who wins the next election, doesn't, whatever. Now, we, it's, um, again, let me say, it's okay to stand up for what you believe, but your hope your faith, your foundation is not in a political party, Republicans or Democrats. Your, your foundation is in Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. He, just so you know, he wins at the end. You know that, right? If I, I, mean, I know I just ruined the book for you, but he, 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 win, he wins at the end. You're like, man, I'm not focused. Just getting to the guest part. All right. Here's the other thing. We also need to be careful. Okay, we also need to be really careful. And I'm not just talking about Grace Chapel. I'm talking about the church. That we're not putting our hope in our innovative ideas. Or we're not putting our hope in our wealth. Or we're not putting our hope in, um, in oh, have you heard who's a pastor of our church? Well, two, they read four, they've written four books. In our leadership. Or we're, we're, not, we're not putting our hope in our, in our, in our innovative um, ideas for ministry or in our, our, our savvy communication. Oh, we're not putting our hope in those things. We should be good at those things, but we shouldn't be putting our hope in those things. Those things are a byproduct of who we are as the body of Christ. Uh, you, get, you get the idea. Here, here's, the, here's the real question. Are we calling our church to a passionate faith in Jesus Christ? There's, there's the, the question. Are we, as leaders, are we as a church calling each other, if you will, to a passionate faith in Jesus Christ? I did not ask if we were calling our church to be the largest church in America. For the first 20 years, we built the foundation, and from now on, I'm going to lay out the vision for you. Our vision is to be the biggest church in America. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask, I didn't ask you, I didn't, when I'm not saying we're call, is our church calling you to be the most, uh, to be thought leaders are the most important thing in our churches. We have so many thought leaders in our church and we're calling all of you to step up, all you thought leaders to step up and create more innovative this, that, and the other thing. I didn't ask if we won any awards for our innovative ministry ideas. That's not what I asked. What I asked was, are we calling our people to a living, active, passionate faith? Are we calling our people to have faith, to have more faith in giving, more faith in serving, more faith that our God can do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine? That's the kind of faith that I'm asking for. 
That's our vision, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and then using all the gifts, talents, and abilities he's given us to reach out and impact this world for him. Not building our own kingdom, but building his kingdom. Now, next, Paul. Paul describes hearing about the Colossians' love, the love that they had for one another, for all the saints, he says. So number four, an authentic church loves. An authentic church loves. I, I thought Pastor Andy did a fabulous job last week laying out this whole concept of love and how the church should love. So I'm gonna build on that a little bit this morning. Listen to this, this is, this is so important. Love creates in a church vulnerability. If you know that I love you, if I know you love me, I'll be more vulnerable. Just a fact of life. If I know you love me, I'll be more honest with you and you'll be more honest with me. If I know that you love me, and if, if, if we are a loving church, we're gonna be more patient. We're gonna be more compassionate. We're gonna be more kind. We're gonna be more sacrificial. All things that you need to build an authentic church. You cannot have an authentic church without people who dearly love, who truly, truly love, love each other. First and foremost, love each other. I said a couple of weeks ago, and I wanna, I wanna kind of say this again. Um, a healthy, loving church, a, health, a, a healthy, loving, in a, in, a, in a healthy, loving church, people choose to do life together. I said something that was shocking to all of you, but at certain points in your life, some of you, or all of you, are annoying, right? But I said, and I said, I am probably even more annoying than you, but I love you, and I choose to do, I choose to do life with you. That means if you aggravate me or do something wrong or whatever, blah, 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 I'm choosing to do life with you because I love you and so I'm choosing to do life with you. When you choose to do life with other people, it trans the church is transformed. A church that is authentic chooses to be patient with each other. It chooses to, to bear the burdens of each other, the other person. They, they choose to grow together. When someone comes in and they're not what we would consider up to par, maybe they just came in for the first time and they're, they're out there using foul language in the, in the foyer or whatever else. They, this is great effing coffee. You know what I'm saying? You're like, how can they say that in the church? Okay. Well, they walked in, they thought our coffee was awesome. And that's the language they're used to using. They're like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that in church. The walls are gonna cave in. But if we love each other, if we love each other and we wanna grow together, our desire is to grow an authentic community together, then we will be patient with that person, come alongside them. And here's the thing, we will take relational risks. You'll walk up to that person you heard say that, put your on, hey, great to have you here. Watch your language. No, just where it's great to have you here. You must be new. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> your first time, I hope. Um, but you know what I mean? And you'll he would sit next to me. That's relational risk. Because it, that, for, 10 people just heard that person do whatever and walk around, maybe be a little awkward, and all of a sudden you're inviting them to sit with you. That's a relational risk. But here's the thing: in six, seven, eight, nine years, that person could be an elder of the church. 
They could be one of the pastors of the church. Why? Because you, take, you took a relational risk to invest and be patient with someone. Why? Because you have chosen to do life with that person. Amen. Now, I have to say this because someone was struggling after the first service. Not bad, just ask me questions. There are people in our lives, okay, that are dangerous. And you can love them, okay? You can love them, but you have to put boundaries around them because they can be harmful, abusive people. You can still love them, but you want to put boundaries around it. What I'm talking about, guys, is just a normal situation where a person comes in, like me, at 17 years old, who didn't have control of his vocabulary in the first two or three or four or five months of church, Right? but people love me enough to give me a chance and be patient with me and take relational risk with me. And now I get to stand up here in front of all of you and share the love of Jesus Christ and what's on my heart. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But the love of an authentic church reaches beyond our four walls. Here's the hard thing, and I'm just, we, we just got to be honest here. It needs to, our love needs to reach beyond just each other. It needs to reach beyond out into the world. But it is getting way more challenging to love people um, outside of the body of Christ in our culture. You say, what do you mean? No, come on. Right? The intensity, the intensity that is going on in our culture right now, the culture war, the way people are politically divided, social issue divided, people are just not very happy with each other and it's becoming harder for the body of Christ to show the kind of love that it needs to show to people outside of the body of Christ. So we need to ask ourselves, do we love those who hate us? Do we love those who passionately disagree with us? Do we love those who would love to honestly, just being honest, love to harm us? Think about that. Can we see past, and this is really hard, but you gotta, I, want you to, I want you to hold this question in your heart and take it home with you. Can we, as the body of Christ, see past the social issues and the political divides to have an authentic love for other people? Can we see past the social issues? That person's for abortion. How can I... How can you ever lead that person into a, to, how can you ever share the love of Christ with that person if you hate them? How are they ever going to be transformed by the powerful, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ if, if you don't like, if you hate them and don't want to talk to them and won't interact with them because they have social issues different than yours? We have a divide in the church right now because sometimes African-American believers hold specific views on social issues that when we hold social issues, these more important, so we vote on this block and they vote on that block sometimes because those issues for them are more important based upon the history of what they've went through, they've been through, and then we say, well, I don't understand. How can you vote for that person? How are we we as the body of Christ going to come together and love each other if we can't get beyond and open up and and hear each other when it comes to how we're feeling about different social issues or even the political divide. It's important, this is important. 
We need to love people that we disagree with. We need to love people who vehemently disagree with us and hate us. We still need to love them. Let me tell you why. This is pretty clear. It's not your pastor saying it. It's Jesus Christ who said it. In Matthew 5, 43 to 48, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not, do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, or in some translations, holy, same thing. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Real love, real true love is seldom easy, and it's always based in truth. It is seldom easy, and it is always based in truth. And the best way, the the best way for you and I to share God's truth is in the context of genuine, loving, authentic relationships. You wanna share the truth of what you believe with other people? It is done. How, How then can you share the love of God? How can you share the gospel truth? How can you share God's precious love with someone else if you hate them? If, you're, if you refuse to be friends with them, if you, free, if you refuse to be relationally engaged with them, it's already, you've already lost. An authentic church, hear me out for a second. An authentic church loves people more than they love their own opinions, even if their opinions are right. Your opinion on different issues may be right, but an authentic church sees beyond that and loves people more than it does their own positions, even if their positions or their opinions are right. I, I have, this is gonna shock some of you, especially if you're new, I have a lot of opinions about our culture, okay, and our, and our country. I have a lot, I really do, I have a lot of opinions about what we're, what's happening here, culture, and, but, I, but I choose, I choose to keep them, and don't laugh until I finish my sentence, some of you, okay? I choose to keep them to myself when I'm in situations, certain situations with certain family members and with certain friends. I choose to keep those opinions to myself when it comes to culture, when it comes to um, political things and what I think is right and wrong or who shouldn't do be doing what or why they're doing it. I keep those to myself and when I'm around certain family members, certain friends and on social media because of my position. I'm very careful. On social media, I usually just talk about, I usually talk about, I'll give some nice quotes that are uplifting, Uh, I'll use scripture verses, or I will show you my latest catch, right? So there's my latest catch. Okay, I just had it, because this is important, I know, let's just take take a moment together, okay, and just be authentic. Um, I, I'm a, I was a, you, some, they, they clapped in first service, no need. Um, but in 2019, I became a master angler because I f- 
caught four trophy fish in one year, one calendar year. So I thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Okay, so I went out in January and I caught this 10-inch bluegill, which is a trophy bluegill. So now there's one down and three to go. Just wanted to just update, because I know some of you are sitting there thinking, I wonder how he's doing with that master angler thing in 2020. Um, now you know. All right, so back to our regularly scheduled program. All right, authenticity authenticity is a collection of choices that you and I make every single day. A collection of choices. The choice to be thankful. The choice to pray for each other. I mean, sincerely pray for each other. The choice to have faith that God can do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine, that God is gonna do things if we thought the first 20 years was good, we haven't seen anything yet. The faith that God's gonna do miraculous things through us as individuals and as the body of Christ with him, with our savior as our head and the choice to love each other and to love those around us. We wanna be continually seen as an authentic church. It's not gonna happen by studying what everybody else is thinking and then trying to meet and figure out how we can, it's going to be by saying to ourselves, how can we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? How can we sacrifice not only for the people within our own body, but sacrifice for the people outside of this body? How can we love when people don't love us back? How can we show caring compassion when it's not being shown to us? If we continue to live that out in our church, we will be an authentic church for the next 20 years. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this amazing day you've given to us. God, thank you for the, for the baptisms this morning. Thank you for communion and for, for people confessing their sin, recognizing that they, they have unforgiveness in their hearts and dealing with that this morning and then being able to take communion. Father, thank you for the honesty that you give to us through your word, that you challenge us to literally love people who hate us, to pray for people who, who vehemently disagree with us, to show compassion and kindness when we're being persecuted. Father, may we be that church because if we're that church, then we are authentic. We're authentically yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.